Well, good morning, Fairhaven Church. Great to see you. I want to welcome all of our campuses, Springboro and Northmont and Beaver Creek and Classics and all you that are joining us online. My Aunt Joanne is joining us in Knoxville. I want to say hello to you, praying for you. It's great to have you with us. And all of you that are here in Centerville, it's great to have you here with us uh, today. Hey, I just want to add on to all that you've already heard in all of our campuses about the upcoming series in two weeks. We're starting a series, and so we're saying, uh, if your group wants to be a part of this, or if you want to start a group, let's talk about it, is the series. And I think you know, if you don't, we asked you to submit questions, and we got lots and lots of questions, and so we put a team together, and we put the questions in categories, and so um, how many of you be interested in knowing some of the questions that we're going to address? Anybody interested in knowing some of that? I see a few of you nodding your head. I don't know about that. Okay, here we go. Um, We're going to be talking about the question, aren't we better off without religion, and what does that look like? Um, Is the Bible still relevant for today? We're going to tackle that question. How can you claim that there's only one true God? Is there only one way to heaven. That was a category that you asked about. Suffering. Uh, Can a God who loves us so much um, hurt us? Um, We're going to talk about that because that's a really interesting question. We're talking about sex, uh, singleness and sex. Why wait for marriage? Um, Does culture deify sex? We're going to talk about that. Um, Here's a question. Uh, Is homosexuality or transgender, um, can that be identified? Can you be identified as a Christian and uh, be identified as an LGBTQ plus? And so that's going to be an interesting question. We're going to look at scripture. Um, Where do you draw the line between activism and passivity in terms of culture and the issues that we have? How do we set biblical boundaries with people that you love but who have hurt you? Uh, All those kinds of things. It sounds interesting to anybody. These are questions that you asked. So um, we've put them together and I've been working for weeks and months on this um, and we're really excited about this. So starting in two weeks and I'd really encourage you to be into a small group because uh, what we learn together uh, corporately here on the weekend, it'd be really good if you could talk about it and go further. We're going to give you incredible resources on all of these issues in order that you might be able to go beyond what we can only do in 25, 35 minutes uh, on a given weekend. So hopefully you'll join us with that. We're very, very excited about this opportunity to learn uh, as a church family. We are finishing a series uh, today entitled uh, More Than Money, and we're talking about money, and it's a a subject that's difficult. So if you're here today as a guest in any one of our campuses, you came at the very end. Uh, In fact, you probably came at the best one because we're going to talk about something that at at the surface, you'll be very excited to know about, but when we dig a little deeper, it gets a little bit more challenging when we talk about it. You see, money is is a subject that is seldom talked about with relating to our spiritual lives. In fact, we don't even want to talk about money that often because it's an unpleasant conversation, because too many of us know our own finances, or uh, we feel guilt or shame within our finances, and so it's an unpleasant conversation, and when we talk about finances in the church, oftentimes people think it's because the church wants more money. And what you'll discover today, hopefully, is at the very end, we're going to show you some partners that we partner with uh, so that you just can know that this is really not what the series is about. This is about you and I uh, catching a biblical perspective so that you and I can have a biblical perspective on the one thing, church, the one thing that has so much power over our lives. The one thing that has control over your families, whether you're single or married, The one thing that creates jealousy and greed and envy and idolatry in today's world, and that's money. 
And so that's exactly why we've been in this series, and that's exactly why we're talking about it. We want our lives um, to be more than money. That's why the title is such. We want to live out our lives and so that it's more about than money in our lives. We want to be free. We want to understand what God has done in our lives by blessing us as he's done by his goodness. And so that's exactly why we have been in this series. And so we're very, I'm very, very excited to end the series today with you. Let me go back. For those of you that may not have been here with us all five weeks, let me tell you where we've been to maybe spark an interest in you if you haven't connected with one of the five messages that we have looked at together, as I have learned a ton, hopefully you have as well. Let's go back just a little bit. Here's what we've learned so far. Uh, First of all, we said that inattention leads to destruction, that if you don't know where your money is going and if you're not paying attention to it, it's incredible how 100 here, 200 there, 500 here, and pretty soon we don't have what we think we have because we're just not paying attention. And so week one, we said that inattention really can lead to destruction in our finances. And so we have to manage. It's God's. He has given us the opportunity to manage it. And so we should give attention. We should look at it. And I've been challenging you to do that. By the way, we have had about a hundred people, singles and couples, who have been on a small group Zoom call with the author, Bob and Linda Lodick. And it's been great uh, for the things that they have been shared. We've heard great responses back from people who are tackling debt, who are looking at their lives, making decisions about saving, want to be more generous, uh, taking care of their responsibility. It's really, really fun to see that. And so it's really exciting. So inattention leads to destruction. Uh, The second week we said contentment is how we slay the monster of more. Because I think you know the answer, so let's try it out. If I were to ask you, how much money would you want in your life? And the answer is a little bit more, right? And that's the answer. And so that's the monster of more. And how do we combat that in our lives? And Jesus gives us a great way to do that. And that's contentment, figuring out what contentment looks like. And then week three, we talked about that the trustworthy stewards will be rewarded. So if you actually do give attention to your finances, and if you do find contentment in your finances, understanding what God's plan is, um, and if you're trustworthy according to being good stewards, God will reward that. And it's exciting to see that some people are being rewarded even now as we've heard stories and so forth. So trustworthy stewards will be rewarded. We talked about that last week. Paul did a great job of of telling us that declarations have to be made. You have to make a declaration to yourself, to your family, to the world around you. Um, Make a declaration of what you need to do because God will bless us in making those declarations. Truth is, when you say something out loud, there's a greater chance of you actually following through than if you don't. And so that's why it's so important to make declarations and to, uh, to make statements to the people all around us. Today, here's what I want to do. I'm going to almost guarantee you that you have never heard this in church before. All right? So send me an email if that's uh, not, not true. All right? Here's what we're going to learn today. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us that we need to flip the script. In other words, you need to enjoy your money. You probably have never heard that in church, right? You need to enjoy your money. What God has given you is because of his blessing. It's because of his grace and mercy and his goodness. Can I get an amen in all of our campuses, right? So what you have is only because of what God has done. It's not because you've got lots of education. That helps. It's not because you're skilled in a particular area. That helps. Um, it's not because you're you know, an expert in a particular area. That helps. It is because of the goodness and gracious, graciousness of God. And the Bible tells us, enjoy your money. You are dismissed, church. The problem is, if that's all you pick up today, then you will hear this concept of enjoying your money completely out of context. 
Because the question that arises then is how do we enjoy our money? Because even the subject about it sometimes gives us, you know, anxiety in our life because it's filled with guilt and shame and so forth. I love the fact that the Bible tells us that we should enjoy our money. And the way that we discover how to enjoy our money is really, really important. And that's what we're going to learn today. Because you can't enjoy your money unless you understand what it takes to get to the place of actually being able to enjoy all that God has given you. Paul is going to flip the script because not many of us have heard the statement that you should enjoy your money. And it's exactly what the Bible tells us as we understand how to get there. Okay, are you with me, church? So grab your Bibles, your devices online, grab your Bibles with us, and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The fact that it says 1 Timothy means that there's a 2 Timothy. And Paul wrote a letter to this guy, Timothy, who was a pastor. And Paul says, here's what I want you to tell the church. And so Paul is going to tell Timothy, and through Timothy, he's going to tell you and I, as I have studied this and looked at this, and and it's really interesting how you and I can enjoy our money if we understand how to get there. That's really, really important. So let's take a look. First Timothy chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Uh, It's the end of the first letter, actually, that Paul says to Timothy. Um, And he tells Timothy some really, really important things all through this letter, first Timothy, and then into second Timothy. But he ends the letter to Timothy saying this. Verse 17, pick it up, I'll read it for you, and then we'll go back and unpack it. Here it is. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You may want to underline or circle that word, to enjoy. You and I are to discover how we can enjoy what God has given us. The question is, how do we get there? Verse 18. They, that's you and I, the people, the church, rich people, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. In other words, what you and I do with our money today And how we steward our money, and in fact even enjoy it, plays out in our eternity. That's a thought that not many of us typically have. So it stores up treasure for us as good foundation for the future, so that they, that's the rich people, may take hold of that which is is truly life. And then he gets really personal. Oh, Timothy, kind of like, hey man, listen carefully. Hey bud, bro, pay attention. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. The things that I've been telling you, the things that God is doing in your life, guard that. Avoid the irreverent uh, irreverent babble and contradictions of of what is falsely known as knowledge. You can interpret that as saying, be careful. There's a world around you, a culture around you that tells you all kinds of different things. Be careful, for by professing it, some have swerved from their faith. Money is one of the things that can cause us to drift away in our faith. Did you know that? You probably do, because you probably have seen that happen in some. You know, if, I were to, if we had more time with you, I would actually take you to verse 7 in chapter 6, because Paul starts out telling Timothy in verse 7 of chapter 6 a few warnings. And so let me give them the warnings first, and then we'll figure out how you and I can enjoy our money. What does it take to do that um, in our life? But some warnings that are really, really important that as I was reading it, I thought, you know what, you, I, we need to have this. We need to understand this, because it sets us up in order to really understand that we should enjoy everything that God has 
has given us. So a couple of warnings, three to be exact, that he gives to us in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. He says, first of all, you can't take your money with you. We all know that. I mean, but does that really... Does that really shape the way we live our lives? You can't take your money with you. Uh, You may have heard it said, you come into this world naked and you're gonna leave this world naked. You may have heard that. The truth is, there are some things you can take. Did you know that there's some things that you can take into the next life? Let me give them to you real quickly and if you want, I'll put this on social media this week because this is pretty powerful. As you transition, and we've had several this week who have graduated to their eternity. They're now in heaven with Jesus. And they could probably come back and teach this message better than I could because they could tell you that there's, you can't take your money with you, you can't take your material belongings with you, but here's what you can take. When you live your life with discipline, you can take that with you because in heaven we will get the victory's crown, 1 Corinthians 9. You can lead others to Jesus Christ by having a relationship with people who don't know Jesus and when you talk to them, you can take that with you to heaven and you can receive the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can take with you to heaven a longing for the, a life beyond this so that your eyes are not just focused on today and next week and next month, but you can lick up and see you've got eternity in front of you and you can receive what's called the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can take with you the love of God in the middle of suffering and temptation and strife and struggle um, and you'll receive the crown of life, James chapter 1. And fifthly, you can leave with you a sense that if you become a leader in the kingdom of God, meaning that you take your life seriously in the kingdom of God, that you can receive the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5. You can't take your money with you, but there are some things you can take with you. And so this is what Paul says. He warns uh, Timothy to tell the church family. That's warning number one. And secondly, he says this, money can produce temporary contentment. Isn't that so true? It is so true. He actually says it this way. Let me read you the verse. You don't need to turn there if you don't want to, but here's what he says. He says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. What Paul is saying is that when you place your trust in God, and as you place your trust in God and your hope in God, God will provide. And in a sense, he's saying, be careful because you can't take it with you and money does provide temporary contentment. It can provide contentment for a little bit, but it will not last. It's not true contentment. It's not contentment that will get you all the way through life and into the next life. And so he warns us about that um, in First Timothy chapter 6. So thirdly, he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So if money is your focus, that's going to be the, the, the root of many problems in your life. If money is the goal of your life, then that's going to be the root of all kinds of issues in your life. If your purpose in life is just to get more money, that's going to be the cause of some very hurtful things in your life and in your relationships, your marriage, if you're married, in your single life. There's going to be all kinds of things that will come out of that in your life. And so Paul is very clear about that. If you're focused or if you're obsessed about money or if that's your desire or if your mission in life is to be rich, uh, and I've heard people say that. My mission in life, I want to be rich and, and, and um, you know, and then they say, but when I, when I become rich, I'm going to give it all away. And I'm like, yeah. 
um, those two attitudes don't go together. Are, are you with me, church? They don't go together, actually. And so the love of money is the root of all the things that we see, and that's why he talks about uh, the, desire, the harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So then let's take a look at verse 17 and let's unpack. How is it that you come to the place where you can enjoy your money? He starts out in verse 17 again, and here's what he says. As for the rich in this present age. Now, Paul is writing this almost 2,000 years ago. Not quite, but almost 2,000 years ago to Timothy. And so it's a completely different generation. And uh, wealth in that culture is very different than wealth in our culture today. So let me make sure that we're all on the same page here at Fairhaven Church. Because my guess is, is that almost all of us at the Centerville Campus, Classic, Springboro, Northmont, Beaver Creek, and all those that are online with us, wherever you're at in the world, you probably fall in the category of being rich. And so when Paul says... As for the rich in this present age, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. Let me prove my point. You see, if you're here today, um, listen up because Paul says you're rich. Listen up carefully. Let me show you what I mean by that. Um, if you have an income of $33,000 after taxes in the course of a year, $33,000 after taxes, in the course of one year, that's $688 a year, or a month, um, six, a week, sorry, sorry. Are you with me, church? <laughs> I'm really good in science, not so good in math. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, 33000 that's $688 a week. You, if we were to take 100 random people from around the world, random people from just grab 100 people from around the world, at $33,000 a year, you would be richer than 96 of them. And only four people would be richer than you are. Now let me make this even more interesting. If you only make $400 a week, that's working 40 hours at $10 an hour, $400 a week, this number here of four would only go up to nine. Only nine people out of a random 100 would be richer than you. Chances are most or many of us, unless you are right now without a job, probably find yourself in the category of rich. Therefore, Paul is talking to Timothy and talking to you and to me and helping us to understand uh, you and I can enjoy our money, but we have to understand how, in fact, to enjoy it. See, being rich is very, very relative. I was doing some research and it was really interesting because I was trying to figure out some things about the difference between money today and money in the early 1900s. So if you were to, if you were to go back almost 100 years, not quite 100 years, but if you were to get back almost 100 years, in today's world, if you went to a big box store, in 2023, if you went to a big box store and you bought a window air conditioning unit, 8,000 BTUs, which is kind of in the middle of the road, it would uh, cool about 400 square feet. So if you were to buy a window air conditioning in 2023 at a box store, it would cost you about $200 if you went and bought one today. In 1923, 1923, if you were to buy an 8,000 BTU air conditioner in today's money, same air conditioner, it would cost you a half a million dollars. Rockefeller couldn't even afford air conditioning. Imagine that. So, I mean, it's about $30,000, um, but it's $550,000 in today's 
wealth. And so look at, look at the difference. I mean, rich is relative. You can buy a window air conditioner for 200 bucks, or in 1932, rather, it was a half a million dollars for a window air conditioning. It's incredible. And today, most of us, I would say probably all of us, have central air in our homes. Would you agree, church? I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And yet Paul is going to tell us here today that you and I need to enjoy your money. Wow. We should enjoy our money. That's why it says right here in verse 17, God who richly provides, richly provides. The word richly here is really important because it's going to come up again as we continue on in figuring out how to enjoy it. The word richly means to be abundantly, that God wants to abundantly provide for you. He wants to give you what you need and many times beyond what you need. He's going to richly provide for you with everything to enjoy so you can enjoy your money. Here's the question. We've been asking it from the very beginning. How do we enjoy our money? So we're going to take a look at these verses here. So you're going to have your Bibles open. I think it's going to be really important for you to keep your Bibles open. Let me read it for you again, verse 17, because in verse 17, he tells us the first way that we need to enjoy our money. Here it is, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, that's you and me, that's all of us, Charge them not to be haughty. The first way that you and I will enjoy our money is to be reminded that you and I need to guard against pride and conceit. The more money you have, the easier it is to to experience pride and conceit in our lives. See, conceit is an idea that you can have in your head. It's an idea that somehow you might be more talented, you might be more valuable, that somehow you are more blessed by God than other people around you, that somehow you're doing things right. Um, it's, it's a mind. It's an issue in our mind. You're doing things right, and other people are not doing things as right as you are, and so conceit begins to build in our minds. A thought begins, and then it bursts out in action, and pride is an action. Here's how pride looks when it comes to money. When you begin to separate yourself from other people, here's how that happens. Where you begin to categorize people. And you won't say it out loud. We don't say it out loud, but you're saying, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to spend time with that category of people. Or I'm not sure I want to be around that kind or that category of individuals in life. And the action of pride comes into our life. Here's another way that that plays out in our life where you're reserved. You reserve yourself for only a few people. It's interesting that when your income goes up, it's difficult in relationships and you begin to reserve yourself and part of that can, can be pride in our lives. We reserve ourselves because we don't want many people in into our lives and so we have our categories built up. Or here's the third way. We have contempt for people around us. This is not e- easy to acknowledge in our life. But this is what Paul is talking about to Timothy. He's saying, look, the word guard there, by the way, is not a simple word. It's as if I was to stand up here and pound this and scream. The word guard comes with such command and and such, it'd be like a drill sergeant who says, guard yourself, guard yourself. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. The way you can enjoy your money is to guard yourself from pride and conceit that can slip in. Starts with conceit and then ends up in action by the way of pride. 
That's pretty a powerful thought that you and I need to think about in our lives. We want to make sure that we're not those kind of people. Uh, certainly God doesn't want us to be those kind of people, and, and certainly that will rob you of being able to enjoy what you have. And that's exactly why Paul starts out right there. And then he says something, secondly, he says this. Secondly, how do you enjoy your money? Secondly, you need to put your hope in God, not in wealth. That's probably not a surprise to you. I don't think anybody in here is surprised by that statement in any one of our campuses, um, to put your hope in God. The question is, how do you put your hope in God? How can you take action in your life, in, in our lives, to actually put your hope in God? Well, I would say the way we can do that is by following his instruction for us. Would you agree, church? That if we followed his instructions, and the Bible has lots of instructions for us, we've been looking at many of them during the series, if we follow his instructions on how you and I are to handle all that God has given to us, let me put it up here for you again. And this is the, what we've looked at over the last five weeks. Um, this is God's plan for us, that we ought to honor God with a tenth of what we've, uh, what, uh, the income that we have. We should save for the future. Saving is important for us. Um, we should take care of our responsibilities. Taking care of our responsibilities is really, really important. If you haven't seen this, take a screenshot of this because this is, I'm going to show you the difference in how Paul is going to flip the script here. Um, Be generous towards others. To find a way to be generous toward those that are, you know, beyond your life and those that God puts in your life and to enjoy what God has given you. Here's what's really interesting. According to the worldly thought or the cultural thought, not only in 2023 America, but in the day of Timothy. I mean, Paul is talking to Timothy They were getting it wrong as well in the church and even beyond the church. Here's the worldly way it views. See, the world starts with enjoy it. The world says enjoy your money. Man, you should enjoy that it's yours. You earned it. You've worked hard. Friday is coming. The weekend is here. TGIF, right? I mean, just enjoy what you have been given. Be generous if you can, but I don't know. Take care of your responsibilities, and there's probably not much left for any of something over here. Not many people save. If you look at the stats, it's pretty, pretty alarming for us and, as Americans. Um, I said that the first week. And so this is what the world says. Enjoy it. Uh, you might want to try to be generous, but take care of your responsibilities. And if there's anything left over, then maybe you could save through your future. And I don't know, perhaps you could help uh, engage in what God wants to do through the local church in the community and around the world. Paul is telling Timothy that you, when you flip the script, you and I can enjoy it. This is what biblical stewardship looks like. When we honor God, when we save for the future, when we take care of our responsibilities, when we're generous, it gives us the freedom and the guilt-free spending to enjoy what we have. I don't think many of us have heard that before. I know I didn't hear that as a kid. This is freeing. It's absolutely amazing. Because, see, the way that you use or view your money The way you use your money or the way you view your money, either one, one's a thought, the other is an action, right? The way you use or view your money points to where your hope is. So if you're not following the biblical example, I would say to you and to me that there's no way that we can enjoy our money. There's no way we can do that because we're going to have a sense in which we're not following the biblical um, management that God has given to us and it's going to be really, really difficult for you and I to enjoy all that we have. And so he says, put your hope in God. How do you do that? You follow the biblical management style in order that you can at the very end say, yeah, I can enjoy that. I can enjoy what God is giving me. It's placing money in its right 
place. Don't miss that, church. It's placing money in its right place. Money should not rule you. It should not consume you. It should not bring anxiety to the place where um, you can't survive. It should not overwhelm you. Um, We can enjoy it. Money must be placed in its right place in life. And then Paul gets to us a third thing. Let's take a look at it. Verse 17. He says this. As the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Be careful of pride and conceit. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So don't place your hopes on your money, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then he says this. They, that's rich. So if, that, if that's you, listen up. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Paul mentions one more thing that will help you and I in terms of figuring out how do we enjoy our money. Well, we become generous. We become generous. And generosity is understanding that all that we have is of God's, but there's very specific things that Paul mentions there in verse 17 and 18, and you can see right there, underline them if you will. Let me outline them for you because it's right there, right before us. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. He says, be generous, and he says this, um, use your money for others, not just you. That's how you'll enjoy it. I was uh, talking to my son um, about this money series, and we were driving home, and I said, hey, son, I got to get some gas. So we pulled into a gas station, and as we were there at the gas station, this young lady came up, and you could tell she was really distraught. And she walked up and she said, hey, my husband and I are here. We're on our way to a job. In fact, I have their business card. I left it in my office. And they have a power spraying company where they help clean buildings and sidewalks and things. And she said, it's been really, really tough the last year, and life has been really hard. And we ran out of gas just as we were pulling into the gas station. Would there be any way that you could help me? Now, there's two sides of my mind, and I'm sure you have the same. On the one side, I'm thinking, I'm being scammed. On the other side, I'm thinking, I'm with my son, and we've been talking about money for five weeks, about how to be generous. And so I look at my son, and I say, hey, what do you think we should do? And he says, give her some gas. I said, okay, that's exactly what we need to do. And she might have been scamming me, I don't know. But I can tell you that I filled up my gas tank, and then I gave her you know, $20, $30 of gas. And as we drove away, it was true. It works. It's amazing how when you make your money, not just about yourself, but other people, you can enjoy it. It was really interesting. And the, the benefit for me is that I got the model for my son who was right in the car with me, right? I mean, that's a pretty big, you know, standard right there when your kids are watching you parents, right? It's amazing. And so Paul says, be generous. Use your money, not for others, but, you know, uh, use them for other people as well. Number two, he says, be generous by making others rich. Remember I told you that the word rich comes up twice? Here it is. Make others experience the abundance that you have experienced. Make sure they don't go without. Make sure that they have what they need in their life. Maybe not beyond that, I don't know. And so Paul's very clear. Be generous. Place your hope in God. Don't be prideful. But make others rich. That's a really interesting concept when you think about it. You begin to see people differently. I know in the last five weeks for me, I've seen things a little bit differently because I'm being reminded about all these things in my life, hopefully you as well. We have the opportunity to enjoy all that God has given us by being generous and making others rich, being abundant with the people that are around us. And then he gives us one more and he says this, be ready. 
How many of you know you can't be ready if you're spending 110% of your income? You can't be ready if your expenses and your debt are in a place where you can't do anything. You just can't be ready. And so being ready comes with an awful lot that's there as Paul is talking to Timothy and saying, we must be ready. We need to follow because if you're not ready, you will not experience joy and you will not be able to enjoy what God has given you. You know, the question that comes up oftentimes, in fact, it came up in this series that I'm going to do in two weeks, and so this is really the best time to answer the question. The question that came up was, what's the difference between a tithe and giving? What's the difference between giving to the church and and being generous? And so because of this right here, I thought I would answer that. Number one, tithing is giving to the storehouse or to the church family that serves you, um, your community, and your world. So if you're here today and you're a visitor and this is not your church, this is not for you. Um, this is for us that call ourselves, this is, this is our church family, and you get to help um, families that have kids. Maybe you don't have kids. You get to help families with kids by your generosity to the church family. Um, again, at the very end, I'll show you that if, if, if you're concerned that we're just asking you to give to the church, don't worry. I'll show you that in a second. Uh, but you get to participate in that. You get to participate in helping senior adults. You get to participate in helping students as we serve students in this community and so forth. And so tithing is when we give to the storehouse or the church family that serves you and your community and the world. Giving is when you get to direct a gift toward a passion that you may have, because God has given us all passions, or an organization that you know that you're connected with, and many of you are, I hope, uh, connected with different organizations, or individuals that you know that you want to help and support. Uh, That's giving. There's two different things about that, and it's really important to know the difference between the two. When Paul says be generous, I believe he's mentioning both because we need to be ready to be generous in both areas of our life. Paul says, enjoy it. Here's the problem. Church, when you enjoy your money, when you live out your life by the biblical principles and management style that the Bible tells us about, someone somewhere probably thinks you handle your money like an idiot. Because when you enjoy your money, there are things that you enjoy and value that other people don't. Have you noticed that? See, some of you enjoy vacations, and so you travel, and you love to go to places, you know, Bora Bora, or I don't know, Hawaii, or someplace like that. Some of you like shoes, and you have an inordinate amount of shoes. Don't elbow anybody in any one of our campuses. You may value shoes. There are people that value shoes, am I right? There are people that value shoes. You may value art where you have lots of art in your home or art around you or you like to travel to see art. You might value cars. You might value sports or a house. You might value antiques or you might value travel or you might value boats or Harley Davidsons. I don't know. The difficulty of enjoying what God has given us is that someone somewhere probably thinks you're an idiot. And so the reminder for us is, church, let's not judge. Let's not judge each other. Let's make sure that we do what God is asking us to do. Let's make sure that we understand. Do you realize that if you went back and calculated everything that it took for Solomon to build the temple thousands and thousands of years ago, in today's money, it would cost about $200 billion. Incredible. Incredible when you begin to think about it. See, guilt-free spending in our life comes when we recognize it all comes from God and we must manage our money like he asks. And then here's the benefit. Look at it with me. Verse 19. Here's the benefit for you. Thus, 
when you do this, you store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is what Paul, I think, is saying to Timothy, and maybe this is the one thing you need to hear today. Freedom comes in your finances. Enjoyment comes from walking in balance. When you and I walk in balance with our finances and with our money, life is more than money. And we experience an incredible sense of freedom. So I want to end here today with a challenge. I want to end this series with a challenge. And here's the challenge that I'm going to ask you to participate in, all of you. My wife and I have already taken it. I actually um, signed up this morning for this in our life. We talked about it last week, my wife and I, and we're already in. I want to suggest and challenge you to a 1% challenge. Now, let me lay that out for you. If you've read the book from Bob and Linda Lodick, you know what I'm talking about. It was so... um, It was so profound in reading it in the book, I thought this would be a great challenge for us as a church family. And here it is, the 1% challenge. To do two things, to give 1% more in the next year and to save 1% more in your life. To give 1% more over the year and to save 1% more in your life. Let's lay it out. It looks something like this. If you're honoring God right now with, um, with 1% more, you can honor God with 1% more. Let's say that you're already giving 5% of your income to God. What would it be like if you tried to add one more percent, one more percent over the course of the year, one more percent? Now, again, I've already told you, so if you're here and you're relatively new to Fairhaven, um, if you think for some odd reason that we're trying to grab more money for the church family, we're not. As a matter of fact, if you sign up for this challenge, we have a bunch of organizations that we partner with, and we'd like you to just sign up to give 1% more in honoring God. And if you want, you can dictate which organization it goes to, because we partner with these organizations. And so when you sign up, we're going to send you resources. You're going to get an email with all kinds of resources as to ways that you can do that and partners that we have. Um, Or you can give it to the church family as we serve you and serve the community. But we have all these and more, actually, than, than these right here, these partners that we have in our community in order to serve people, kids, families, students, and the global world, world evangelization. So I want to challenge you to 1%. 1% more over the next year in your giving by honoring God. That's the first thing, honoring God. Second is to save. Save for your future with 1% more. That would be like if you're making $75,000 salary in a year, that would be $750 more a year that you would put in savings, 1% more. I don't know if you'll, I don't know if you'll appreciate me telling you this or not, But the author of the book, um, Bob Loddick, he and his wife have done this. That's actually why they bring the challenge, and that's why I thought this was a great challenge as the team we talked about it, to bring this challenge to you. He and his wife, they are now giving 40% of their income to God. 40%. (laughs) That's unbelievable to me. And they're saving an incredible amount of percent in their life. 1%, save your future with 1% more. Let's say you save 10% of your income. Why not trying 1% more in the course of a year? Just this next year, we want to challenge you to a 1% challenge. Give 1% more, save 1% more of your income over the course of the entire year. 
Here's what you can do to sign up to this challenge. We're not going to come after you. Um, we're not going to necessarily follow up with you unless you want us to. Here's what you do. Take your cell phone and type the word percent to 32,000. And immediately we're going to give you resources so that you can look at all of our partners. You can see all the things that we're making suggestions for. You can participate in this. Church, I want to challenge all of us to a 1% challenge that you can give 1% more, save 1% more, and let's see what God will do as we enjoy um, all that God has given to us. Let's flip the script. Would you do that? Church, just grab your phone sometime today or sometime this week, type in the word percent, 32,000, and let's take the challenge. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close today? Father, we thank you for the blessings of all that we have. We ask, Father, that as a church family that we would contemplate what it means to live out these biblical stewardship principles that we've been able to look at over these last five weeks. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow the fact that we don't want pride in our lives. That robs us of joy. Father, we want to put our hope in you so that we can actually enjoy our money. And we want to be generous. And Father, as we consider this 1% challenge, I pray, God, that you would do great things in our hearts, our minds, our families, our finances. Lord, we want to live out our lives in ways that are more than money. We thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.